We are in a brand new series, Mere Christianity. I'm excited about this one because I love C.S. Lewis. True story, undergrad, my prof, he's actually a preacher in this area now. Um, he, uh, he was invited, he's like a super smart guy, he was invited to um, go to school at Oxford. Um, for free. And uh, I think I think actually all the students that go to Oxford go for free, right? Something like that. Uh, but anyway, so he's there. He's doing the tour and they're going to the church. And this church was C.S. Lewis's church. And they said, oh, here's his desk. And, uh, you know, he's got like four or five boys. I think they were going for a girl and they just kept trying and like just kept pumping. Finally, they were like, we're just going to, we're just going to stop. So um, I think he literally has like five boys. Anyway, um, they're taking the tour and they're walking around. And at one point he, he asks the tour guide, he says, where is C.S. Lewis buried? And he said, uh, so they're walking literally kind of around the corner of the building, you know, and they're like, hey, where's C.S. Lewis buried? You know, and you know how boys are, right? They're way ahead and they're back and then they're head and they're back and then they're head. And, and actually the tour guide was like, actually C.S. Lewis is buried right there where your son is peeing. Kid you not, dude's son peed on C.S. Lewis's grave. So I don't know, take that for whatever it's worth. <laughs> maybe, maybe he loses rewards in heaven for that. I don't know, because we're responsible for our generation. Anyway, okay. Um, so super fun. I love C.S. Lewis. And um, if you haven't gotten the book already, pick it up. And it's not a heavy read. Um, it's dense in terms of content because C.S. Lewis is like that. He's like the master of metaphor and, and um, analogy, um, but it's not a long read, okay? Um, so what we're gonna do each week, we're gonna break down each of the books. So there's four books, so four weeks. Um, next week, we have small group night. So we are uh, taking a break from our series to, uh, to launch small groups. You guys sound so excited. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. So definitely don't want to miss that. But uh, part of that is kind of a plug. We believe circles are better than rows. And we want you to have a voice here and be a part of the conversation. And that's what this, uh, our small groups are for, is you're going to be in a small group with folks that are kind of in the same context of life as you. And, and we're going to be talking through pretty heavy stuff. Um, so that we can be growing in our faith and growing in our knowledge of Christ and our relationship with him. So, um, let's see, did I miss anything here? Hey, did you guys know that slapping people with tortillas is absolutely amazingly fun? Did you know that? Hey, check out this video. So good, so good. I'm not going to tell you who won that. You have to talk to the guys yourself. But my favorite one, I think, is when um, 
Nathan, when you got hit and there's like water, you see it like squirt out of your mouth, it's pretty good. So anyway, lots of fun. Um, thank goodness those guys know each other, right? How awkward would it be if you just walk up to somebody in um, a park somewhere, you got a tortilla in your hand and you're just like, hey, sweet, smack, and you just popped them in the face. You're just lighting people up. How many people do you think you could light up before somebody called the police? I mean, I know it's a challenge right now, but like, I mean, how many do you think? Like one person, two people, 12 people? There was that, there was that um, challenge years and years ago where like you just run up, run up on people and like jump on their back to try to get a piggyback ride and hold on for your life, you know? Anyway, um, yeah, can you imagine if like, literally, if you went up to a stranger and just popped them in the face with a, a tortilla, would they call the police on you? I mean, that's kind of assault, right? Yeah, it's, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that legal clarification. Um, why would somebody call the police on you? Why would they call the police on you? Because it's just wrong, right? It's just wrong. And um, you just don't go up to people and slap them in the face with a tortilla. That's just not okay, right? It's not part of our, our, our culture. It's not like instead of shaking hands, I just slap no in the face with a tortilla. And that's like my uh, term of, in, that's like, you know, me telling you, I love you, bro. It's like, pop, you know, no, it's not what we do. It's not what we do. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. Um, if you hit me in the face with a tortilla, I probably would just stop and I'd be like, what in the world just happened? Like I'd be sitting there like in disbelief, like if it was a total stranger. And um, um, it, the funny thing is, the reason I started off with that story is because this is kind of what C.S. Lewis is doing in his book when he starts out in, at the beginning of his book. Is he's saying, look, um, and this is what I love about it. It's not, it does not start off as a Christian conversation. If you know the history of the book, during World War II, um, C.S. Lewis was uh, charged with putting together like little 15-minute bite-sized talks that they would air over the radio. And it was meant to be like, you know, um, comforting and something for the British people to kind of occupy their minds and think about while, while their country was at war. And so he, I love it. He doesn't start off saying, Hey, um, God is real. And Jesus died on the cross for you. sin." he doesn't start off that way. He actually starts off with this idea that we all presuppose a moral law in how we live. Okay. Um, so he asks the question, he asks the question, what can we know about the universe from this simple concept that everybody appeals to universal understanding of right and wrong? We all sense a right and a wrongness. If you're um, getting on a bus and somebody steals your seat, you feel offended. Or if you walked in here tonight and uh, you're getting ready to walk up to the door and somebody just ran through the door and then pulled it shut behind him and like, you're just standing there like, what? Like, come on. Uh, I'm a human being. I'm, I'm standing right here. You can't, you know, at least acknowledge me and maybe hold the door open or, or something. He's, and this is what C.S. Lewis is saying. He's saying he's appealing to this idea that we all live this way. We all live like a right and a wrong exist. A right and a wrong exist. Um, and what he says is he says, this is the, the, law of human nature. It's the law of human nature. 
And um, I'm going to jump over to uh, page four real quick and just read an excerpt from it. Um, do, 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 do. Okay, here we go. Um, yeah, the law of human nature, it's a governing set of laws that we can obey or disobey. I'm just going to read this really quickly. Um, okay, now this law or rule about right and wrong used to be called the law of nature. Nowadays, when we talk about the, the laws of nature, we usually mean things like gravitation, heredity, or the laws of chemistry. But when the older thinkers called the law of right and wrong the law of nature, they really meant the law of human nature. The idea was that just as all bodies are governed by the law of gravitation and organisms by biological laws, so the creatures called man also had his law with this great difference that a body could not choose whether or not it obeyed the law of gravitation or not, but a man could choose to obey the law of human nature. So it's interesting here, he's identifying that there's all these different laws of nature, right? But specifically the law of human nature, we have the ability to obey or disobey. It's the only one that's like that, according to C.S. Lewis. Um, so that's number one. That's what we know about the law of human nature. Number two is that he argues that it is innate. Um, anybody in here know what innate means? Nope. Okay. Basically just means that it exists and we don't, it, it exists in us and we don't necessarily know where it comes from. Okay. That's all it means. It's a natural it's a natural inclination that we have. It's a natural knowledge that we have, right? Um, and this is definitely a, a, a widespread debate in the world of, of um, ethics and epistemology is this idea of how do we come to know what right and wrong is, are, you know, is it based on our culture? And, and uh, C.S. Lewis jumps into some of this, but he says it's innate. He says that it's something that we get when we're born, that we have this sense of right and wrong from birth. And he says, everybody knows it. It's universal. Now, anytime you say everybody knows it, there's obviously going to be exceptions, but he's saying everybody knows it. Um, and he's saying, look, if it's not innate, then we are ridiculous to expect that another person would know and understand these understood truths about our world that right and wrong exist independently of us. For instance, um, we can all probably agree that selfishness has never been a virtue, right? Um, no matter what culture era, selfishness has never been a virtue. And, um, and so he, so if, if uh, this law of human nature is not innate within us, if we don't all agree with it, then it's possible that somebody might not know that just because they, they just don't know it, right? And then we couldn't blame them. We wouldn't, we wouldn't say, hey, you're morally culpable for being a selfish person because maybe you just didn't know it. This is how actually countries go to war with each other is because one country says, hey, you should know better, even though you're a different country and you might have a different culture and you're different, different background and different faith traditions, you should know better. Torturing people is universally wrong. And so we're going to put you in check or something like that, right? It presupposes this universal law of human nature transcends cultures, politics, eras, civilizations, 
Um, so this is what C.S. Lewis is getting at. But you might say, well, um, they're all a little bit different, right? Um, you have different cultures, different um, moral codes throughout the ages, right? I think about Hammurabi's code. Um, and uh, the and in Hammurabi's code, yeah, there's definitely some differences between, you know, uh, say the Ten Commandments, right? Um, but it's insane how remarkably similar they are. And so um, one of the things that C.S. Lewis says here is like, yeah, you can go and you can, you can research all the differences between the different, um, different codes and things like that. But what you would be amazed at is not the differences that they have, but how remarkably similar they are. I can tell you um, in Hammurabi's code, uh, he was um, uh, the king of Babylon and uh, this is one of the earliest moral codes that we found written down. It basically says, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, pay back your debts, treat others as you want to be treated. It's a, a big, long list, but man, that sounds right like kind of the Ten Commandments a little bit there. Um, and so the idea is that we all have this written on our hearts, even though we have all come from different cultures, different backgrounds. And how is that the case unless it's a universally innate God-given, he's not there yet, he's not there yet, but a universally innate natural human law. And he says, but hey, here's the thing, none of us really do it. <laughs> he's like, we know it, but we don't really keep it very well. We, we fail it quite often. And unlike gravity or unlike biology, we can disobey this law, and we do quite frequently. Um, so, that's kind of where we're at with um, what the moral law is. You know, do you guys have any questions about that? Any, any questions here? Um, this can totally be conversational. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, totally. Good question. So the question was, um, if we all have this code, why do we see right and wrong differently? Now, um, there are absolutely different um, opinions and feelings about what right and wrong are, right? And what he's appealing to is that there are some universal truths to what right and wrong are. Um, not, that not everything that uh, Landon over here feels is right or wrong would necessarily line up with um, Dane. You know, you guys got to fight it out. Yes. Okay. Who's going to win? Tortillas. Yes. Afterward. Let's go. Um, but yes. So our background, um, our culture, I think our, 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 um, our family that we grew up, a lot of that has to do with some of the non-universal mores. Um, so you have each culture is going to have non-universal morals that are established in those two. But what C.S. Lewis is really getting at is he's saying there's these, there are these universal truths that are real and they exist outside of us. They are not in us. They are there and we merely can interpret them. We can see them and respond to those morals. Um, in fact, 
that's a good question because he jumps into some um, some objections. And here's some of the objections that he sees. He says, um, there's the, the objection that this is really like herd mentality, that as a culture, we have decided um, as a herd, an instinct to act in a certain way, right? And this is a, this is a legitimate concern, and, and um, he treats this very well. He says, uh, if you ever have a cry for help, right? So you're walking down the street next to a river, and you hear a cry for help, um, you are going to experience two different feelings, most likely, two different instincts. You're going to have the instinct of, man, I should go help this person. And then you're going to have this other instinct of self-preservation. Now, your law of human nature is neither of those instincts. It is what directs you between those two instincts. And what he's saying is, is that we have our impulses as human beings, but our law, the law of human nature is neither of those things. It's not any of our instincts. It's what directs us between those instincts. Um, and, uh, the way that he kind of gets at that is he says, we always have these impulses. Our impulses are amoral. They're neither good or bad. Because um, let's say you have the impulse of, of loving humanity, okay? And you say, okay, I'm going to do that all the time, period, right? Could we not go kind of off the deep end with our love for humanity? So it's not intrinsically a good thing. It's a good thing sometimes in a certain applications. And that which tells us to interact in that way is our, our law of human nature. Sweet. All right. So I know this is really like kind of heady stuff and I apologize. And actually, hey, I, I forgot to mention this earlier. You're not going to see a single Bible verse on the screen all day today. Um, and that's just because that was kind of like um, C.S. Lewis's um, intention with this part was that, you know, he wants to have a, a, a real uh, conversation that's not uh, burdened with, you know, theology and things like that. So um, I thought it was appropriate. But here's, here's what he's trying to get at. Um, and I love this analogy. Again, this is, this is C.S. Lewis, page 10. He says, you might as well say that the sheet of music that tells you which note at a given moment to play one note on the piano and not the other is itself one of the notes on the keyboard. Um, and I was like, man, that's so huge. So the, sh so the notes are the instincts, right? I have an instinct or an impulse to um, help this person. And I have an instinct and an impulse for self-preservation. And it's the sheet of music that tells me which note to play at which time. That's my law of human nature. Um, the, other, the other objection... Um, and so anyway, what he's saying is that it can't be an instinct because we know that this whole thing, this law of human nature has to be separate from our instinct. So it cannot be just 
an instinct. It has something has to be something more than that. The other objection is that it's a um, a social convention or a product of our education. And the example that he uses here is he says, "Look, we're all taught." Are the the um, the times table right? We're all taught mathematics, and yet um, mathematics, whether I ever learn it or not, exists outside of me, right? It, it's there, and it's something that we can interact with, we can learn about. But just because I was taught that doesn't mean that we invented mathematics, right? We didn't. We we um, learned and we discovered um, how those work together. So. It's not herd instinct because it has to be something different. It's not a social convention because not everything that we are taught is, are, are, are things that we have created or made up. Um, and he, he, he even goes into this idea of can we get better morally? Think about this. Um, and this is, these, are, these are like legit current conversations and ethics and things like that. So if, um, if I would conclude that the abolition of slavery was a step in the right direction, like an improvement to our morals, then I am presupposing that there is a standard by which I have decided that I have moved in a step in the right direction toward that standard, if that makes any sense. It, they, I'm presupposing that there is a measure by which I am um, grading myself or evaluating my morals and saying, therefore, that I have improved them. Um, so really, really, really important stuff. So he's still asking this question, what can we know about the universe from the concept that everybody appeals to this idea of right and wrong? He says that we can conclude that there is this law of human nature and that it is innate. We somehow naturally know it seems to be universal. It's out there, objective, separate from us, and it's separate from our human impulses, okay? It's not the herd instinct. It's not social convention. So where in the world did it come from, okay? Where in the world did it come from? And there's a couple of views about the universe we have uh, materialism. Materialism is a closed system. Basically, all that exists um, is, is matter that we can observe around us. And the interesting thing is with, within this closed system, I have no choice but to default to some sort of herd mentality or social conviction because I have nothing beyond the material to appeal to to ground this idea of my morals. So that's one view of the universe. Now, there, there are a whole bunch of um, subcategories of, of um, I call them we call them worldviews, right? How we interpret the world around us. There's a bunch of them, um, but materialism is one of them. And then outside of that, we would kind of lump the other ones together as like a religious view, a religious view, because there's a, a view that there is some sort of a mind or person or being behind this law of human nature. And so th this, what, 
what Lewis is really trying to get at here is he's saying, look, if I observe this law of human nature, if I just take it and kind of like pull it out and just observe just that and say, okay, what can I learn about the universe? Just the fact that this law exists, this fact that um, we seem to all appeal to this idea of right and wrong, the fact that we seem to all have this notion of, you know, definite idea of evil and, and some definite ideas of good, like benevolence and generosity, and caring and, and love, right? We have some, some, con, some um, consensus on that. And so he's saying, look, if, if that's the case, what's behind this moral law? And he says, I think I see what I might conclude is a mind, a consciousness, and he's not, he's not going any further than that yet. And this is important. Um, and here's what's really neat um, is he says, okay, if this is a mind and um, it's there behind the law, um, you know, we as human beings, we have minds. And if, if this mind created all things and created us with minds, then um, maybe by observing ourselves, we can learn more about this mind, okay? Um, so I know that's like super, super deep stuff, but um, page 22, if you want to turn there, this is a good one. I want to highlight this one if you have the book. Here we go. Okay. This is what he says about the mind. He says, the other view is the religious view. According to it, what is behind the universe is more like a mind than anything else we know. That is to say, it is conscious and has purposes and prefers one thing or another, right? Because it seems like there are preferences to um, certain types of behavior over other types of behavior. So if this mind is responsible for what's right and wrong, can we learn about this mind by what it considers to be right and what it seems to prefer that we do, which is things like benevolence and love. And okay, so we could probably, um, we could probably assume that this mind values benevolence or love or charity and those, those kinds of things. And on this view, it made the universe partly for purposes we do not know, but partly at any rate in order to produce creatures like itself. This is important. I mean like itself to the extent of having minds. So we have minds. What C.S. Lewis is doing here is he's saying, look, Gosh, if we can conclude that there is this moral law and that there's this mind behind this moral law, consciousness, and we can even learn about its preferences and, and its desires for us, and then we can take the next step and say, well, he, this mind created all things and created us with minds. Could we learn anything about this mind by looking at ourselves? Right? You guys follow me? You tracking? Tracking? Yes? No? Okay, good. Some folks are. Um, and so what he's saying is that we have insider information. We can think about ourselves and learn about our creator. And I think that's totally true. Um, he tells this story. I'm going to read this to you really quickly. Because um, I think that, like, Lewis is just, like, 
has analogy after analogy after analogy, and this is one of my favorites. I thought about this for a long time. Um, it's, it's kind of, I call it the analogy of the mailman, uh, but this is what he says. Suppose someone asked me when I see a man in blue uniform going down the street, leaving little paper packets at each house, why I suppose that they contain letters. Okay, why, why would I think that they have a letter? He said he should reply that because when he ever receives a similar little packet, within, within that packet, he finds a letter. Okay, simple. And if, the, if he then objected, but you've never seen all these other letters, which you think other people are getting, I should say, of course not. And I shouldn't expect to see all the letters. Because they're not addressed to me. I'm explaining the packets I'm not allowed to open by the ones I am allowed to open. It's the same question. The only packet I'm allowed to open is man, talking about himself. When I do, especially when I open that particular man called myself, I find that I do not exist on my own, that I am under a law, and that somebody or something wants me to behave in a certain way. So he's saying, when I look at myself, when I look at myself, because I have a mind, because I have a consciousness, if this mind created me in some kind of likeness to itself, I see that, that I am held by this law. And as I interact with other people, and I am bound to that law, and that law, um, even though I fail to keep it sometimes, I, I see what it desires and prefers and some of those things. So, a um, couple of questions. Does the presence of mail, like mail, USPS, yeah. does the presence of mail give sufficient grounds to believe that there exists a mailman? Or, to say it differently, how many humans have to be have to have the law of human nature written on their hearts before we can safely conclude that there is an author of this law of human nature. How many humans have to have the law of human nature written on their hearts before we can safely conclude that there is an author of this law of human nature? Somebody has written it. Somebody gave it. Somebody created it. So if we can conclude that there is this mind behind the law, then straight away we have two pieces of information, okay? And we're getting to the end here real quick. Um, we have two important pieces of information. Number one is we can look at the universe that he made, okay? And just like any piece of art, there are characteristics, habits, tendencies, desires of any artist present within their art. Right, And so this is called natural theology. We can look at this earth and we can look at nature around us and we can learn about our God. We can learn about the God that created this universe. I could say that much right now. And number two, he says, we have the law of human nature. The mind or the being behind the law is intensely interested in right conduct. This is what we, can, this is what we know about this mind. Fair play, unselfishness, courage, good faith, honesty, and truthfulness are the things that regardless of culture, regardless of era, regardless of faith, tradition, 
humanity seems to share in this notion that these things are virtuous. And because of that, he's saying we can know more about this mind. This is our dilemma. This is our dilemma. If, we're, if there is a mind, God is the only comfort and he is also our supreme terror. Here's, here's what I mean by that. And this is where C.S. Lewis is going. He says, um, if I fail to meet up to this moral code and um, then if God, God should, this mind should hate that, right? But I'm also going to ask him maybe for leniency or grace in my case. And um, if he's a, if he's a absolute good being, then he should probably extend that too, right? Um, and so if absolute goodness does not exist, then all our efforts to live out the law of human nature or to be good people are pointless. And yet if the absolute goodness does exist, then we are making ourselves enemies of that goodness every single day. So we are, this mind is both our greatest comfort and our greatest terror. That's what he's saying. So now you're you're probably hearing that and you're like, whoa, dude, that is God is not a terror. Okay. And we're not there yet. Okay. Um, we are like a hundred miles away from the God of Christianity. Okay, we're talking about a mind behind this law of human nature. And this law of human nature is rigid and harsh. Just like, you know, mathematics doesn't care if you have had a bad day. If you get the wrong answer, you just get the wrong answer. And that's what he's saying this mind is very much like. And so because of that, every single day we're failing and making ourselves the enemy of the mind. And yet the mind is the only thing that can draw us has the power to draw us out of our complete failure with this moral law. Um, so here's the conclusion. After you've, had, after you've realized that there is a moral law and a power behind the law, and you have broken that law and put yourself wrong with that power, it is after all this that we can finally begin to talk about Christianity. Because when you finally know you're sick, then you listen to the doctor, right? And, and this, is, um, this is Lewis's final quote here from book one, and we'll call it for the evening. Um, he says, if you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. But if you look for comfort, you will not find either truth or comfort. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for um, this large mind. God, I know today was um, a lot of information and a lot of deep um, concepts about this idea of right and wrong and good and evil. And, and, um, and Father, I just pray that you would, um, you would help us to think deeply about this this week. Maybe if we need to go back and read through some things and, and maybe wrestle with it. And, and God, also just re remind us that this is not... This is not your infallible word that maybe C.S. Lewis is wrong on some of these things. And maybe we need to flesh them out and decide and know what we believe about these things. 
And so, God, I just pray that um, you would be a part of our conversation as we jump into small group and that, um, God, we can talk deeply about the things that matter most, the things like, um, you know, am I living according to your law, according to um, not your, your Old Testament law, but your law that you have written on my heart that, that edifies um, other, other human beings, that loves you in return, that draws me into a place of perpetual worship and prayer and and, and ultimately just being in awe of your creation. God, you gave us uh, minds, and, and I believe that um, in part of our process of being good stewards of the resources that you've given us is that you um, desire for us to, to think deeply about these things and not just let them go to the wayside, that we should engage with them. And through, through doing so that we can discover new things about your heart for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.